0: Hello and welcome to the Top 10 Film Show, the podcast that sets out to create the definitive top 10 list of all your favourite movies. I'm your host Simon Harkness and I'm joined by my co-host Eamon Jacobs as we put forward our cases as to why we think the films we'll be discussing today should be considered the top 10 films of all time. Now, it's not just us two, thankfully, because every week we will be introducing a new guest to join us on our mission as we combine our two guests' favourite 10 films of a specific genre to create the ultimate top 10 movies list. So sit back, relax, put the kettle on or open a cold one and enjoy this week's episode of the Top 10 Film Show. Hello, I'm Simon Harkness.
1: I'm Eamon Jacobs.
0: And we are delighted to be joined by our first ever guest on the Top 10 Film Show. It's TV presenter and the man who interrupts your movies on ITV2, it's Johnny Nelson, how are you mate? Hello, I'm waving at the screen for no reason, it's a podcast,
2: <laughs> what's the point in that? I'm all they right, can't mate. see you. I'm, I'm not too bad, I'm not too bad, I'm still alive, it's been a few months and I'm still here so I can't really complain, I mean I can complain and I will complain, it's been a horrible year, all our careers have gone down the toilet, we've not <laughs> outside, I've not seen my friends, I've not seen my family since February, but you know, I've not thrown myself into
0: a river yet.
1: Yet being the keyword there. (laughs) Yet being the keyword. (laughs) Yeah, the keyword.
0: Usually, usually when people like join podcasts, they tend to be quite upbeat. Um, But this is like a we've learnt already that this is going to be quite therapeutic.
2: I've got no, I've got no upbeatness left
0: (laughs) to share. I'm,
2: I'm hoping at best this is going to be cathartic. I think that's all you can really hope for when you wake up in the morning now, that you're going to have a cathartic day. That makes you feel a little bit better about something that's happened in the past, because you realise there's not much to look forward to in the future. Apart from this!
1: <laughs> the Top 10 Film Show!
2: This is depressing in itself, because I look forward to doing this, and now I'm doing it, which means it's going to be over soon, which means I'll have no, nothing to look forward to anymore. And the yeah, cycle of misery
0: continues. How are you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm doing all right, mate. Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, all the better. Oh, well, it was all the better for talking to you. <laughs> I'm not here to uh, cheer you up. <laughs> did you like that introduction? Me explaining to people who you are, the man who interrupts. I mean, it's nice.
2: It's nice to be introduced. Really, I mean, it's more than I get like on the tube or anywhere else I go. It's nice that anybody is letting people know who I am. Yeah, it's it's effectively what I do. It's living, isn't it? I mean, it's it's the it's the yeah, one job sure. that I that I haven't lost in the last twelve months. I still interrupt people uh, while they're watching. Kind of, I wouldn't say old, but you never Classics. you never watch a movie on ITV two for the first time, do you? Uh, it's very much your, your Shaun of the Dead, so your American Pie, the weddings, your Iron Man two kind of thing. And it's nice to be the person to to break that up every now and again with some aimless entertainment news about what, <laughs> what kim kardashian is like wearing or i don't know anymore what, Kate, so i I, I, don't I, was, I was gonna say what what katie perry sticks up her ass like i was <laughs> like i was in the pub like at, like seven pints in just being really
0: awful but that obviously would never make the news well, <laughs> well, it, well i guess i think i, mean, it I would, listen would to probably it. make the news uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean we've all seen the picture too. of
1: yeah, we've all seen the picture of her and Orlando Bloom that he kayaking naked, haven't we? You wouldn't, you wouldn't, <laughs>
2: you wouldn't pull that up here, Jaxie, would you? I mean, he was
1: notoriously <laughs> well-endowed. Oh There'd be God. nothing left right, in my, We're like three minutes in and Orlando Bloom's dick has already come up in conversation. <laughs> Jeez. It, was, uh, it was yeah, inevitable, it. really, wasn't it? Of course. It's of course a
0: very it strong start. I think my my aim in life is to be as happy as he is on that kayak. Like... I've never seen such a beaming grin.
1: I really wondered where you were going with that one, mate. My <laughs> aim in life is to be as big as Orlando Bloom. I've never like, seen
2: <laughs> such a thing like it goes <laughs> under a bridge. Uh, you don't hear the end of that sentence. <laughs> uh, I'm surprised was anyone naked. was looking well, at that grin, to be fair. I thought everyone was looking directly at the... <laughs> well, we all know what it was, <laughs> and then quickly deleted from your cash. At cache the
1: kayak. Right? At the kayak. Yeah, yeah. The kayak. Five, yeah. Minutes, five minutes looking at his
0: massive, massive Dick. <laughs> I think he, he had been I, I don't client, know if it was group. a natural one though Was it I,
2: I get a feeling that he'd had a bit of a Had a bit of a play with it Like if you're taking your clothes off In front of somebody Yeah And you're like You, you maybe just want to warm it up for a second uh, So you're not embarrassing yourself <laughs> I get the feeling he might have done that But let's not think about <laughs> it any
1: further <laughs> well, Right so yeah. uh, This is the explicit <laughs> version Of the Top 10 Film Show um... <laughs> Oh yeah because not that listening, that listening with your children Jesus Oh so I've,
0: I've got a fun story I want to tell you, Johnny. So um, for the listeners, uh, Johnny came to, we, we moved in, me and Beth moved into our flat. Um, it was uh, last year and we had a housewarming party slash Christmas party, sort of November time. Johnny came and the, the day after, thanks man, it was bloody good fun. Um, and the day that was after- a very middle we, class thing to say about the- <laughs> oh, It
2: was bloody good fun. It, bloody was, it was a good very fun. fucking good time.
0: <laughs> he was the only northerner there. <laughs> it was, uh, I, actually I think it was someone from Preston which is quite a fun story because Johnny's from Preston um, but yeah the next day um, we were watching a film on ITV2 and guess who popped up and we are like well we don't really have the brain power to be like oh my god that's Johnny Nelson <laughs> he was at our party I was like it's fucking weird isn't it if that story
2: <laughs> says anything it says that I can go to work after any event because as as you remember, I was not in a, I was not in a fit state to be doing anything <laughs> the next day. Uh, but you there were. I was interrupting whatever crap was on ITV2 at the time.
0: Good man. So how did you how did you get into it?
2: How I what? How did I get into the ICB2 ITV2 stuff? Or just,
0: yeah. Um, Let's do your career in two
2: minutes. I'm too meandering to get to my career in two minutes. (laughs) I couldn't get through, like, breakfast in two minutes. Uh, So, yeah, the ITV2 stuff, I was, I studied journalism back in the day, graduated in 2010. um, Then worked worked for Jonathan Ross for a bit, then in local TV up north for ages, did that for years and years and years. And then... um, eventually someone suggested I should like try and get an agent and do the whole presenting thing more seriously because it was part of what I was doing in local TV. Um, and, and then, yeah, I, I I managed to bag one, came down, had a meeting and I was like, how the hell do people get that job? How do people do red carpets? How do people interview actors and directors at junkets and stuff like that? How do people interrupt American Pie the Wedding on ITV2 (laughs) or often ITV4, um, when we're, when we're sort of relegated to that side of television. Um, And they had someone on there at the time. They had someone working at ITN who make all this content uh, called Vic Hope, who's now well-known from Capital Breakfast, from Strictly Come Dancing. She's a good mate of mine. Um, And they just, yeah, she suggested there was like an opening coming up and I just applied for it like any normal job. I didn't get it (laughs) because it was like a full-time gig, but they, they took me on to do, you know, weekends and covering shifts and stuff. And then I moved down from Preston to London and just plugged away at it. And I, I work freelance, so I do lots of different jobs to different people. But the ITV two stuff is the, I suppose that's been like a bread and butter. It's lasted for like mm. five and a half, six years. I've been doing that now, and I'm still not
0: bored of it. <laughs> good man, good man. But yeah,
2: that's that's kind of how I got into it. And it's yeah, it's 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 a pretty it's, it's a simpler job than people would imagine. Um, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yep. And any job you can do whilst like, cripplingly hungover <laughs> uh, and at the same time be introduced to kind of some of the biggest stars you could have ever hoped to, to have met uh, mm. is, worth, is worth cracking on with. And it's, it's pretty much one of the only jobs that has lasted throughout coronavirus as well, which is nice. Absolutely. Because people still need shit films to watch, don't they? They still <laughs> need those shit films to watch. If any, More now than ever. And exactly. What's a shit um, film without some knobhead... Jumping, in, uh, jumping on your screens uh, in between to, to give you aimless news that you probably knew already.
0: Talking about what Katy Perry shoved up her ass. But yeah, we
2: will hear here well, for yeah, it. Mate. I really we're don't know where it. that came from. I think it came from the frustration of my mic not working before this podcast started. Uh, and it's just left me deeply embittered. I- I've never spoken about what Katy Perry does or does not uh, put in a, her rectum. And she has every right to do whatever she wants with it.
0: Yeah, this is twenty twenty, man. Um, well, speaking of the uh, celebrities and the stars you get to meet, I would like you to very quickly answer who has been your favourite interviewee and who has been your least favourite interviewee. You don't have to give names on the last one if you don't want to.
2: Ooh. Well, it's weird because like in, in my f- so so the, the one I was like most nervous about was was Robert De Niro because he was he's he's one of the greatest actors of all time. There's a huge like he's reverend- Robert De Niro. And he's Robert De Niro that's, that's the only explanation he needs um, but then my favourite one was probably Bill Nye, uh, from from well from everything from from uh, about time and from Hot Love Bulls, Actually I, and Still Crazy and all <laughs> all these like great movies he was just the nicest man in the world I loved him to bits but in terms of like I don't have many that I really dislike mm. me and Jake Gyllenhaal have kind of like had awkward moments, but then we've worked it out and I'd, I still like him. But uh, it's usually when I've had, to, I've been lumbered with interviews for reality TV stars and and people from Love Island and X on the Beach and Geordie Shore and all that. And I couldn't give less of a shit about those kind of programs. And I couldn't give less of a shit about those people. And it just felt like I was wasting my life having to hang around to chat to a semi-topless, beefed-up knobhead uh, about, about what... I don't know, uh, weight loss biscuit he's bringing out next month.
0: <laughs> um, Herbalife. Yeah, I Herbalife. That's, that's how I was summing up. <laughs> Reality TV, no? Film, yes. Yeah, that's, that's great, man. That's a showbiz in a nutshell, to be fair. Um, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I, I'm desperate to hear your <laughs> Jake Gyllenhaal beef, but I, I guess maybe we could save that for another day. Um, he's all right he just doesn't like his films being compared to other films and that's my favorite thing in the world like
2: if someone says have you seen this movie i say yeah it's a bit like this and it's a bit like this that's that's i think that's a perfectly good way of communicating but he's a little bit more um cerebral now i guess he's a little a little bit highbrow in his in his his the way he approaches his his work um,
1: I mean, to be fair, he did just play uh, Mysterio, who is basically a dude with a giant fishbowl for a head. So, can you get more <laughs> cerebral than this? Uh, the last time I met him was for Southport
2: a boxing movie he did, and I said it was a lot like um, it was a Rocky. lot like Rocky Four meets Eight Mile, and he was just like, "I don't know why
1: why we have to compare anything." I'm
2: like, "Well, it's because that's how we understand the world." That's just what yeah. you do.
1: Maybe it's a British thing. Maybe it was a maybe it was a you know a culture shock for him. I don't know.
2: He's spent enough That's time over here, hasn't he? Like true. he, yeah. he yeah. got it. I only won him round when I started talking about Spaceballs, which is one of his favourite movies. Um, Fantastic. that Brooks. Oh so he fucking loved talking
0: about space balls. <laughs> if you oh, yeah, yeah, just balls very balls similar in to
2: space. space balls. Um But yeah, that kind of that That's kind break. of got him round again. He always he always cheers up by the end of it. I don't think he's a an arsehole or anything. I just I, I've just pressed his buttons the wrong way, I suppose.
0: <laughs> oh, it must be tough being Jake Jill Well um that was really interesting. I love hearing. I love hearing stories like that. So thank you very much. Um, but we are delighted to have you on, um, and we are delighted as our first guest to be talking about the top ten comedy films of all time. You two both have your lists. Mm-hmm. I've got the enviable job of trying to please you both. Uh, I tried to fit. fit. am <laughs> <laughs> just gonna show you a picture of Orlando Bloom's cock. <laughs> this, is a, this, is um, <laughs> this is a family show. is a family show. And yeah, at the end we will obviously create the ultimate top ten movie comedy movie playlist um, from your lists. Who would like to go first?
1: I think I should be gracious, really, and uh, and let you go first.
2: This this was such a difficult list to put together. Uh, because comedies were the first kind of movies that got me into watching movies. Uh, that's probably the same for for most people. And there is so, and it's it's all subjective anyway. But this was this was my top ten list that that I could settle on in the last couple of days. So I've got The Princess Bride, Rob Reiner's movie, 1987. Uh, Doctor Strangelove, that's a Kubrick one from 1964. Airplane, 1980. Superbad snuck in there. But I can give you some reasons for that later. Uh, in 2007, in the Loop, the uh, the spin-off from The Thick of It. 2009, uh, What We Do in the Shadows, the movie from 2014. Now, of course, uh, a TV show over in the States. Uh, I have Zoolander, probably objectively the worst movie of this list, but I love it <laughs> dearly, and I think its silliness alone is is worth uh, its placement. The Big Lebowski which is, hands down, the funniest Coen Brothers movie and one of the funniest movies ever made. Uh, An amazing movie from 1998, just kind of surreal and wonderful and the best thing with John Goodman in. Uh, The Life of Brian, probably the the most popular and most famous of the Monty Python movies. Uh, And this is Spinal Tap. That's the second movie from Rob Reiner in this list, but a movie that kind of sparked... This, this, this mockumentary uh, world that we seem to, to live in now. The trend that's been picked up by Ricky Gervais and Steve Carell and Amy Poehler and every man and his dog now has had a go at it and perhaps perfected it. But this is Spinal Tap for me was the zenith of that form. And that, my friends, is is my top ten. I
0: mean, that's a hell of a list. That is a hell of a list. list. Um, there are, mm. There's a few films which, because I know Eamon's list as well, there's a few (laughs) films in there which make an appearance in both lists. Um, But we're going to talk about, this is Spinal Tap to begin with, Johnny. As you just said, uh, it's kind of... Would you you say this is possibly the most groundbreaking comedy film of all time, given how popular the mockumentary format has become? And the shows that it's given us, like Larry Sanders' show, The Office... Even Modern Family, like well,
1: Parks and Recreation. Parks you know and mean?
0: Recreation, one of the best comedies of all time. Is this one of the most groundbreaking comedies of all time?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's it's certainly the most influential comedy of the last uh, thirty six years. Like it created effectively created a genre of its own. Now there's there's been there's been films like that and shows like that um, prior. Uh, I can't remember when the first one was made, but it was it was almost like twenty, possibly thirty years earlier than that when they when they started to play with that kind of form. But this is the first time that it was done on this scale. Also, one one thing to talk about um, with Spinal Tap is that all these shows that have happened since have been quite finely tuned. I mean. Um, What we do in the shadows is done in a sort of mockumentary format and these are are scripted. Uh, The office uh, for the vast majority is extremely scripted uh, as is Parks and Recreation whereas this was done as almost an experiment. I mean the the people that got on, Michael McKeon, uh, Harry Shearer from The Simpsons, uh, Christopher Guest who went on and, and kind of perfected the form even more in his own career, making films like Best in Show and Waiting for Guffman and A Mighty Wind, which are all absolutely amazing as well. Um, but this was done as an experiment where they got these really finely tuned, experienced actors and they got them to improvise. And they just shot hours and hours and hours and hours of, of this content and then put it all together. And I don't think that's something you you see in any of these TV shows or films that have been made since because they simply can't afford to do that um mm-hmm. rob reiner the director put himself in the movie which is quite unique as well he plays a character called martin de Berge, who's uh, making a documentary about these actors pretending to be rockers uh, and, and it's just it's so it becomes quite meta how far deep it actually goes and i think that sets it apart from virtually all of the other films and virtually all of the other tv shows which have which have utilized the same kind of the same kind of format I it's
1: mean, really interesting cuz oh, i was going to say I mean, it's you like you know you're saying about rob Reiner putting himself in it Taika watiti what we do in the shadows
2: yes i mean yes he's yes. literally
1: the presenter in a very kind of unconventional way obviously he's kind of half tour guide half presenting the documentary sort of thing um i, I Think you know the the influences there are pretty clear.
2: Although, as like I said before, even with even with Tyker, like the character he plays in what we do in the shadows, who is absolutely amazing. I mean, hence why that's that's in the list as well. Um, it they are they it is quite a tight, clever script. I mean, he wrote and directed that with Jermaine Clement mm. uh, from Flight of the Concords. They were both they both directed and they both um, wrote it as well. But you can tell that it was so finely tuned everything that happened in that movie. Whereas with Rob Reiner, he just came up with this idea, wrote kind of very loose uh, scripts and these set pieces, and then they would just start it off like a, like an improv, like the scene in the hotel as well as the scene in rehearsal. They would just go in, and it was more like a Louis Theroux documentary, but where everyone's pretending, including Louis Theroux. Uh, <laughs> and I just think I just don't think any that's ever been paralleled in the same way I don't think anyone's pulled it off in the same way since I think
0: improv appears quite a lot in um, early Apatow movies and I think there's no it's, it's not exactly a coincidence for Apatow's movies when they first came out in like 2004 to 2010 became huge, huge successes um, and I think a big part of that is because a lot of that was improv as well um, and I think there's something about improv that audiences love because you're constantly fed the the usual story arc of a film, um, and then with improv, you've just got these comedians who are able to just sort of make you laugh just like that. And I, I personally, I love improv. Um, I love movies which have. Improv. I think you
2: can sense the energy of of yes. improvised lines, even when you're not in the room, even when it just comes across on screen when it says someone says something so new or, or, or dangerous that can work or not work but when it does I, d- I just think you can sense it as an audience member you can like there are, there are times where in a lot of these films actually and TV shows when you listen to kind of the documentaries made afterwards when they talk about how you can see the cameras shaking because the cameramen are laughing during the filming because no one was expecting certain things to happen and I think that's the beauty of it when, when they get small improvised lines right in those kind of movies it, it surpasses it's the pasties, like anything else you anything else that can be scripted
1: or performed. I mean, the thing that 100%. comes to mind for me is, uh, is Chris Pratt in Parks and Rec um, when he's meant to turn up to his girlfriend's house and he's meant to be naked and he's got like a you know, jock strap on sort of thing. And he just thought, fuck it. I'm just going to turn up naked, see what they do. and did it and Amy Puller like forgot her line and that's the cut they used in the show and then he got a letter from like NBC or whatever telling him that he was like if you do that again like you're getting sued
0: (laughs) it it does make sense but they used uh... it in the cut
1: because the the reaction and the chemistry that he had with you know on screen with Amy Puller at the time was just perfectly hilarious Do you know what I mean he was uh, he was
2: like renowned he was renowned on that set to be one of the top Sort of improvises, and they allowed him to just to to play around. And uh, you go on YouTube and look for like uh, cut scenes and stuff from Parks and Recreation. And there's one when he's when he's talking about, funny about Kim Kardashian or something, and uh, and he says, it's, they're, they're talking about comeback
1: stories. It's like, oh, you know, come back, yeah, yeah, nah, nah. like, She
2: come back. And goes, I'm pretty sure
0: he came on her back. <laughs> 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 and you see them all just die It's great Improv lines are just the best And I think it is something to do With the energy that you said, Johnny um, And without so, Spinal
2: Tap There would be no uh, office There would be no parks uh, and recreation There would be no arrested development For me And that's well, why sad. it deserves its place in this list
0: Absolutely Well, let's go from uh, Christopher Guest and Rob Reiner On um, Spinal Tap To Princess Bride uh, What is it about this movie that you love? Well, this is just a warm
2: hug of,
0: of a movie uh you can't dislike this movie
2: it's the kind of movie that as a kid as a, as a like a guy you you avoid when you first hear of it because you're like the princess the princess bride that's not gonna be for me that's a girly movie and then one day you're you're, you're sick or uh, you're at home or it's a weekend you've got nothing to do and it comes on and you just find yourself watching it and before you know you're completely in love with the whole thing uh, the the entire cast The entire cast of sort of like famous people in the 1980s in America. Uh, Billy Crystal is in there, Uh, Carrie Ells, who did later appear in like Top Gun and the Saw movies and even Stranger Things. And one of my favorite movies, uh, which is um, Robin Hood Men in Tights, which is another like slightly lesser known Bill Brooks movie. (laughs) It's just, it's got Andre the Fucking pleased I didn't make the list. It's just a, a lovely, it's like a fairy tale turned on its head mm. uh it's all the things you're supposed to like as a kid but feel like you've grown out of it and then it sucks you back in uh peter folk from from colombo plays like this grandfather who's reading a story to his son who's the kid from wonder years i think and then you go into this kind of random magical world where everyone everything's just a little bit a little bit off like offbeat like it, it's I don't know how... It's, it's difficult to describe. It's just... It's so quotable. You've got Mandy Patinkin, who went on to be in Home. my right. name
1: is Inigo Montoya. Come you on. You kill my
2: father. Prepare to die. Like,
1: it's That's just...
2: Perfect. It's got everything you need for a kind of a family-friendly, harmless, fun comedy movie. And I think it kind of... It crosses generations as well. You could watch that with your kids, your nephew, uh, your little sister... Uh, and your parents, and you would all get something from the movie. And whilst usually I don't advocate for kind of really broad comedy or broad films, I don't really like to think, oh, yeah, everyone's going to love this movie, because, let's be honest, most people are dickheads. But The Princess Bride, The Princess Bride, I cannot fault at the age of 31, having seen it more than 10
0: times. I can't poke one hole in this movie. I have two pieces of trivia coming your way. So... Uh, did you know that apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger was at one point supposed to play Fezzik? Really? The role yeah. that went to Andre the Giant? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can no. kind
1: of see it, I suppose. You, you can just see from the it. height, but at the same time <laughs> it would, I don't think it would have the same sort of weight. Yeah. It would be, he was, he it would like be atrocious. <laughs>
2: You can tell when he was in Conan and stuff like that, he was obviously yeah. like a warrior warlord type who spends a lot of time cr- making himself big and strong mm. and fierce and, and whatnot. Whereas, whereas the character supposed to be just this kind of large lumbering guy who just can't help but being massive. And that was more what Andre the Giant was. He was just this huge unit and he, there, was a, there was a softness to him. And we never saw the softness to Arnold Schwarzenegger until like Kindergarten Cop and, and, <laughs> and, and films like that. So it was way too early for him to be to be kind of playing almost the friendly yeah. giant in a way.
0: Well, even with the even with like the time difference. So uh, at that time, he was the Terminator. So that would have been cool. Quite... That's a bit of a
1: tonal shift, isn't it? Fucking hell. <laughs> <up. laughs> <laughs> yeah. Gentle giant that might shoot the... you in the back. It's fine. It's at <laughs> the
2: same time at the same time, fuzzy Fe- Fezzy like does uh he he just like kind of throw rocks around at people and he does like almost yeah. strangle people. Yeah. I think he puts the princess to sleep by like just grabbing a
0: neck which seems a little bit uh a little bit off in, in twenty twenty. My second piece of trivia for you uh, for this film is Apparently, the only reason why uh, Reiner was allowed to make it was because of the success of This Is Spinal Tap and The Sure Thing. Apparently, it was uh, very difficult to get made. And I don't think the studio were that keen on uh, Reiner making it. Um, but I think by that point, he built up so much goodwill. that They were like, yeah, fuck it. Just don't just don't hire Arnie." That's, it's, it's why Bob <laughs> Reiner, for me, is one of my favorite ever
2: directors uh, of all time because in f- from a period of about 1984 through to like 1992 he made such different films such interesting choices one of my favorite movies of all time is uh, is stand by me the stephen king adaptation about the kind of young 11 year old kids going to find a dead body and tonally that is entirely hmm. different to both the princess bride um, and to this Is spinal tap And I I love him for that. And also, a nice, a fun thing about The Princess Bride, um, which is slightly more kind of uh, of our time, is during lockdown and during coronavirus, whilst we've had a lot of terrible content being put out by the likes of me, (laughs) but one fun thing that came out of it is that Rob Reiner got a load of celebs to film themselves doing little scenes of The Princess Bride. So if you look for that, it's absolutely fantastic. It's really funny. Loads of great people in it. Um, And... And a really sweet thing is that he plays the kid in the bed having the story read to him. And his father, Carl Reiner, who sadly passed away during lockdown, um, plays like the Peter Falk grandad
0: character reading him the story.
2: And well, I just thought the whole thing that's is just
1: very sweet, sweet, and sweet and wonderful. Yeah, that is lovely. That's wholesome. God, what, lo- what a
0: lovely way to end them, Princess Bride. Johnny, I'm just going to chuck two or three films for a very, very quick... Synopsis, I would say. Um, Let's uh, let's go with Airplane and Doctor Strangelove. So I'm going to put it to you that Peter Sellers and Leslie Nielsen are the two, if not two of the best comedy actors of all time. And I would. That's interesting. I
2: disagree.
1: I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. The look on your face then was like.
0: You've, I, I, I'm going to back myself up here. Right? So you've got the, the master of deadpan, and you've got the master of just fucking silliness. I, no, <laughs> I, I don't I think love, either I of them. I love them
2: both. I love them both. And, and I certainly agree that Peter Sellers is one of the greatest comedy performers of all time. Uh, the amount, sheer amount of characters he played, completely different types of characters. I mean, he plays three characters alone in Doctor Strangelove, playing um, what the, 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 the president. Uh, what's his name? President Murkin Mufflin, Murky Mufflin, which are both, which are two references, two references to fake vaginal hair. Because um, a murkin is like in TV and film when you wear like a fake pubic patch. Um, and Murky Mufflin was like, was 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 the play on both of those. Uh, and he plays, he plays the RAF uh, sort of general and... Uh, and also strange on himself. But yeah, he played this incredible cross-section um, of people, Inspector Clouseau. He's one of the greatest of all time. Leslie Nielsen, I love. I love more than I could possibly say. I loved him when he appeared on Due South and he had a special guest appearance on a couple of episodes as this like great Mountie who's a bit silly. But as he would have admitted, and he admitted many times in the past, he was actually a serious actor. He was a serious actor. Who was brought in to police squad and then the naked gun and airplane to play a serious a serious man in, in a in a, a comic in situation a, in a ridiculous so all he ever situation really did
0: deliver as seriously as he could. That's that's a very good counter argument. I saw um he was referred to as the Olivier of spoofs, which I thought was a, I mean that's a hell of a title, right? <laughs> that's, if I could leave that legacy, it'd be fantastic.
2: I mean, he worked with um the Zucker brothers, Jerry Zucker and uh, and David Zucker and uh, uh what's his name? Abrams, Jim Abrahams. And they made Airplane. They also made the Naked Gun movies. I think Abrahams went on to do Hot Shots with Charlie Sheen. And they were all surrealist, silly, slapstick, disaster parody uh, sort of movies. And it was the movies made around them that you needed the perfect kind of serious lead in the middle. And and I think that's what Leslie Nielsen fit into Uh Really well. I think when he made other movies like Dracula, Dead, and Loving It, and stuff like that, where he was a little sillier, I don't think it was as funny. Um, and I think that was his sort of that was his weakness in a way. But playing playing the kind of straight man in a ridiculous surreal world was something he completely nailed, and for that, I won't take it away from him. I
0: miss him dearly. What a guy! What a guy! Um, so, one thing I have noticed about your list, Johnny, is. I think there's a bit of a parallel between *Strange Love* and In The Loop. Absolutely. Um, political satire. You I Political mean... satire and just fucking chaos. What, <laughs> is it <about> it? <laughs> <laughs> what is it about those two things which just uh, clearly you enjoy? Oh, it's
2: just you, the, the world. I mean, I think anyone who's into comedy, I used to do a bit of comedy like, like back in the day and... It's always been like one of my biggest loves and I think the best thing about comedy is, is looking at how stupid the world actually is. And you can sit in an office and chat to people or overhear people's conversations and you just hear no- this nonsense. Left, right and centre, the world is full of utter bullshit nonsense. And I think the per- that the- that's why I love Life of Brian as well and why comedy is so important because it highlights that nonsense. It puts it under a microscope and it shows it to the world. Yeah, it exaggerates and it turns things up to 11, so to speak. But it still, it still does, it, that's still the purpose of it. Um, you've, you've got Doctor Strangelove, which of course was sort uh, of a, a, a parody and a satire of the Cold War at the time. You've got In the Loop, which was a parody and a satire, um, perhaps even closer really of of the escalating um sort of like war in iraq and in the middle east in the sort of mid noughties and I, I just think when when you can't get into the room and when the news has to like you know give you give it to you straight you need somebody to just you need somebody to to throw a kind of beans over someone's head <laughs> and you need someone to be pulling the funny faces behind them and I think that's what those movies do. And I think they're educational as well because people mm. in general, everyone talks about how they want, they, they, they like watching things like Love Island because they just want to switch their brain off. They go, I want to get home from work and I want to sit there and I want to just watch something and entertain it and I don't have to think about. I put it to you, what the fuck is the point in that? Like, What is the point in making content that you don't think? Like, surely what we should be aiming to do is creating content that makes people think without them realising their thinking like like if you go to school, school and you find a subject that you like to learn about and it doesn't feel like work anymore, that's the point. Make it better so people find it entertaining, don't feel like they're, they're, they're laboring their bloody brain cells, uh, but they actually do pick up something. And stuff like In The Loop and, and, and uh, other movies and shows like it, you learn about what's going on. You, you It makes you want to I... think about what's going on. And I think that's incredibly important in a world where we're all just looking for headlines and something bright and shiny and shit
0: <laughs> bloody good sentiment to be fair mate um yeah we should be we should be striving to watch things which make us question things um although I, i'll be honest i am one of those guys who every now and then i just need to be like i just put whatever you want on like put below deck on because i just need my brain to just yeah it. i mean um,
2: it's it's i suppose i am i, I do become a bit of a snooty bastard i suppose in a way there's nothing wrong with watching like really i mean a lot of the kind of films that i would write in a, a top 100 list would be silly look at zoolander zoolander is just a, yeah. like a ridiculous surrealist nonsense of a movie uh, that you're not going to learn anything from and it's just entertaining but i think that's where, I'm, where my passion for for the in the loops and the thick of it and things like that come
0: from it's it's subversive learning I like that, I like that. I mean, talking of Zoolander, it was on last night. He um, was on Comedy Central, so I was re-watching it. Um, man, I forgot how funny Will Ferrell is in that film. Um, it was, but,
2: it was I, all of them at their sort of God peak God. of their powers. Before they got a little bit annoying with the kind of same sort of movies over and over again, it was just, it's perfect, like, cult fodder. And that's something I love about it as well. It bombed at the box office. It bombed at the box office because people weren't really ready for that kind of silliness, and then people warmed up to it. Mm. And then it kind of just became a bit all. uncomfortable. By the time it got to Anchorman, it was like everyone was obsessed.
0: Um, I was I was shocked to see that it had like a twenty eight or thirty eight million dollar budget. Like that is a huge amount of money to put into a film like Zoolander. Um, is oh, Zoolander true, Ben Stiller's best performance and best film? Do you think?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. straight to the point yep <laughs> it's got
2: everything you want it's got some of the big players it's got Will Ferrell you've got Owen Wilson peak of his powers you've got a David Bowie cameo probably the best David Bowie cameo of all the films he turned up in certainly better than his, his appearance in the prestige. fighting talk there mate Come on. Uh on no. No. he doesn't do like right, I, the I, I, in the I prestige, love does he
1: he walks through lightning. He's introduced <laughs> in a lightning storm. I like know, come on. That is the most Bowie it. thing that has ever bowie Like come on. It's great. Oh. It's great. But I just think
2: David Bowie turning up to to it's appreciate, wrong, uh, a sort great. a of model off. Uh, yeah. A walk off is between two male models is just the funniest thing in the world, and I thought it was done perfectly. You have to weigh in. You have to. Um, this is why um, I'm the mediator oh, in All of this. <laughs> I think
1: personally, personally, the the prestige cameo is a lot better because a you have the enjoyment of being like holy shit that's Dave Bowie. Like his introduction is just poignant because you hmm. immediately have this sense of power for Nikola Tesla. Um, and I know The Prestige isn't a comedy and we're getting way off topic. <laughs> <laughs> but I just think, you know, it it shows yet another string to Bowie's bow. Whereas in Zoolander, you're finding it funny because it's, 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 it's Bowie. Bowie. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, hilarious. But Prestige, you're actually seeing him portray a character. And you're like, oh shit, okay, that's really interesting. And it's not just that one scene either. You know, we have that whole dinner moment where he's lecturing Hugh Jackman on the, you know... Uh, on morality and, a, on, yeah, and philosophical measures. It's very, it's very measures. Bowie
2: because it's sort of drawing parallels between between two sort of like crazy, uh, mm. s- somewhat Eccentric. misunderstood uh, men of their time between Nikola Tesla and David Bowie. But like, it just, I, I think as, as it's not as <laughs> joyful for me. Like what I loved about David Bowie in film, like in Labyrinth and... Mm and, of course, in, in, in Zoolander, is that it, they're joyful cameos. And I like the fact when people turn up and they're playing themselves as well. Is he like,
1: joyful in Labyrinth, or is he a bit creepy? Yeah, anyone <laughs> in a piece is pretty joyful, isn't he? <laughs> We're getting <laughs> or so is on it, topic. Or is it a little <laughs> bit predatory? <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I yeah. know, it's, it's
2: quite predatory, but if you watch it as a child, before you know what predatory is, I think it's actually quite charming.
1: Uh, Tune in next watch, week for the, the top as, like, ten predatory cameos. <laughs> Admittedly, *Labyrinth* and *Time Bandits* is a perfect back-to-back bill. I'll give you that.
0: That was *Zoolander*. Um, <laughs> very quickly, as well. By the way, fucking shocked to see Donald Trump turn up in like the first two weeks ah, of *Zoolander*. That gave me a bit of a. He, gave me a bit he of a fright. turned up in um,
2: everything. I mean, he ruined he did, *Home Alone* too, doesn't he? Let's just. Yeah. Let's, That's a let's, good point. Let's not give him the airtime. Right.
0: So my final. Uh, a film I want to discuss with you, Johnny, um, then we move on to Eamon's, is The Life of Brian. Now, I rewatched this <clears throat> the first time in years, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to put it to you, but I don't think it's aged that well. There are it jokes hasn't. about rape, there are silly voices, and there's jokes about transgender women. I think in 2020, The Life of Brian may, uh, may be about to lose its audience. I think if I
2: may, if I may be so bold, um, I mean, there's obviously the age-old argument of like things being made in their time and blah 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 blah, yeah, and you know, judging, saddles, judging principles that have changed. However, I would, I would stand in its defence about a number of things. Uh, the transgender yeah. argument, they don't actually make jokes about transgender uh, people. They make jokes about men dressed as women, which is a different, which is a different thing. They don't talk about gender identity. Uh, um,
1: don't or, or anything like that they, they
2: kind of no. they, they, if you if you take away the, the fact that fun can be had from people dressing as as different genders uh, and, and vice versa then then it becomes it becomes a little bit too serious for me um i think i think also the silly voices like was is something that the monty python team uh really made their own And whilst it might not seem like it ages particularly well, I think what they did better than anybody and where they really started was how you can subvert something very important, like a a discussion about religion and politics uh, and the way people are governed and the way people make decisions and the way people um, kind of uh, create these paths. Uh, these very rigid ideas and paths for themselves for their entire lives and how they live by them, and then subvert that with silly voices, is something. Is something that hadn't been done necessarily before that. It's it's like it's like discussing it's like discussing the, mo- the most seriousness of politics and then doing a fart noise at the end of it. There's, if you do it right, that can still be funny. Um,
0: true, very true. I mean, I, I, these I were very, was, very, very clever men.
2: Again. These were very, very, very clever men. And um, when they, when they were silly, look at the dead parrot sketch. When they were being silly, there was like, it was like a break from the seriousness of the world. And that's what Monty Python did. I watched it again recently, uh, a few months ago, and there are still parts in that film, really subtle moments which. Are So unbelievably funny Michael Palin when he's playing this This sort of zealot uh, At the side of the road And he's just Spouting utter nonsense Whatever nonsense comes into his head And people are like lapping it up which I think is yeah. a really interesting narrative. It's a really interesting point that can be made of anyone of influence, whether a famous person, whether the, the singer, or an actor, an artist, or a politician. Like Trump now can say whatever he wants and there'll be people eating it up. There's this guy who's going, oh, I can't, I'd love to be able to find like this one scene. It's him saying, um, Oh what were and, and and then and then this man would lost his things and he wondered what happened to these little things. Like he just he's just talking like mundane nonsense, and 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 kind of acting like it's
0: it's profound. And I think that's like still a hilarious, Fair a enough, little man. bit like, like what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the parallels between us and the Monty Python. We'll take that all day. Um. Yeah. I mean, when I was rewatching it, I was like, well, this is. I I don't think it's aging particularly well because you kind of got everything that i just said yeah. there but also there's so it spawned possibly the most iconic comedy catchphrase of all time and the haggling scene is fucking genius like there's for everything where i'm like oh I don't, I don't know if this is actually good for a current audience i'm then like but then you've also got this these bits that are absolutely genius and iconic so it's a very interesting film that you um you chose there what do you think amon
1: i mean personally uh i think i i sway more on the side of some of the jokes don't land as well as they did back when it was released um yeah like you say there is a a, a joke about somebody getting their knob chopped off um yeah there is yeah like which, where do
0: you put the penis you which it in a jar, feels
1: like... a little bit too um i guess at the time it will have been classed as like toilet humor uh, whereas now it feels a little bit more uh, politic, well not politically sensitive, socially sensitive. Um, I think it's just a little bit too poking fun and not in the not in the way of like political satire, um, it, it, where it you know makes fun of politics as a whole. Whereas this pokes fun at a specific uh, demographic, and I don't think that that I don't find that funny personally. Maybe that's just my my personal opinion on it—I'm probably wrong, but I just—I don't know—it doesn't really land that well for me anymore. Um, I mean, I found it—I found it funny as a teenager. I went to see *Some Like It Hot*
2: um, a special screening of that, and I love that movie. I've always loved that movie. It's—it's—it's it's, it's brilliant. I actually put it in a list of um, top five movies to watch uh, if you want to laugh recently for like another show, um, and that's the film again, which is kind of like you've—you've got a—you've got a, you've got a set aside uh what some of what kind of feels right now in in that in that film there's two men dressing as women to escape the gangsters and the fun is had by these two heterosexual blokes in the 19 uh the late 1950s uh maybe like 1960 i can't remember the exact year uh kind of living that life in amongst it whereas nowadays it's it's so different that. I don't know, it feels it feels a little bit awkward to be to be laughing along with them uh, like that. And sometimes you've really it's sometimes it's harder or easier um to be able to park I don't know, what you know now, how you feel now compared to and, 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 and watch something for what it was at the time. And yeah, so it's sometimes about the line, if 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 it feels like they're poking fun, if it feels like it's coming from a place where it's it's like a darker place, it's a lot harder to do that.
0: It's a, yeah, I mean, it's a very, very so On contentious. It's a very contentious su- subject. Um, comedy landscape, as we know, changes possibly more than any other sort of landscape in the arts. I would say wherever it, it changes so quickly, and I would say the best way to keep yourself free of any sort of disparaging humour is to just not pick at any sort of minority that would be my shout but then yeah. i mean it's, it's, it's easier uh, now it's it's, it's just because now it
2: happens less and less and rightly so yeah uh and it's well usually comedy it's only funny when you punch up and not when you punch down i think that's that 100 that's consistent yeah. through all of comedy uh, forever like if you watch if you watch any film from any era that feels like it's punching down at somebody or something uh below them that's that's never been funny like bullying is never funny yeah exactly it's just it's just, we go through different stages uh i guess in like human progression and development and enlightenment when different groups can change and shift be up and down and
1: sideways uh yeah. and sometimes I mean, it's about I, the perspective I say all of what ap- if they're down or if they're above or below I, I mean i say all this about you know um pointing point fun at demographics but uh Number ten on my list is *Team I was... America*. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, here it literally features blackface,
0: uh <laughs> black puppet face as well. Yeah,
2: and and a lot of like uh, and, and made up made up sort of Middle Eastern language. Was it yep. Gurka Gurkha, Jihad? <laughs> yes,
1: exactly. So.
2: At the same time, it's a great movie. Like, it can't it, be. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. It's
1: uh, Yeah, I mean, I, well, poli- politically, I just think Team America has some very brilliant points to make about, you know, the war on Iraq and stuff I'm... like that. So the
2: thing with um, *South Park*, uh, Trey, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and what they did in that movie as well, is that again, they they don't punch up or down. They punch everyone. Mm. So the 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 way they would justify it is the Americans are not the good guys in that movie. The American characters are not the good guys. Everyone is a parody. Everyone is 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 an is a crazed idiot. Everyone is is out of their mind. And that's how they justify saying, "Well, we're not saying (laughs) there's there's an above and below. We're saying it's all fucked." Yeah, Uh, everyone. I think that's their get out, but it still can be awkward depending on where you sit on that scale. What parts of that movie you might be offended by?
1: I mean, that was going to be my. there's the film uh, Actors Guild, I want to say it's called, and they yeah, abbreviate it to to FAG, which obviously is a fucking horrendous, you know, derogatory term, but they're not using the, that term as the joke. They're not pointing fun at uh, you know that demographic they're <laughs> the point in front of the actors for being so bloody fucking stupid and time, society and they are, for laughing of, it up they're
2: still using it as a very passive term so the idea yeah. is all these actors are so interfering and they think they're trying to they think they're saving the world and they think they're mm. making a big difference and whatnot and really they're just full of their own hot air and they're but they're still Absolutely. laughing at them going Ha hey, yeah but your thing is called fag because that's like it's like in high school where people uh of, of my generation would call each other gay and yeah, they would yeah. mean it they wouldn't mean it thinking they hated gay people but they would mean it as a what they saw as a humorous derogatory term that'll annoy right. that person so I think right. it's still awkward to see now because it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right even if they might I'm sure they absolutely didn't, they didn't call they didn't have that abbreviation fag because they didn't like gay people but they were trying to offend those other people with the words so it doesn't that's one of those things that hasn't aged very well, but yeah. mm. again, you have but to really kind of take your mind out of it to enjoy it in a way. Take your mind they, out of where you are now.
0: They are a fascinating case study, of those two, because like you said, they just don't, they don't give a shit. Anyone <laughs> is there for Anyone is there it's for ripe. them to take... They're yeah. ripe
1: for a picking, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Um,
0: so, I mean, I'd love to know how they get away with their comedy. Comedians like that, writers like that, directors like that, they're
2: important because... The people who aren't afraid to offend anyone, Ricky Gervais, all these kind of people, without them, the world becomes extremely stale. There should be moments where we go, that doesn't quite work or that works and I don't feel right about that because then you understand what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong. But if everything's bland, then we're nowhere, are we?
0: Amy, very quickly on, we're going to get to your top 10, but (laughs) (laughs) how old were you when you first saw Team America and should there be more puppet sex in films?
1: Uh oh god how fucking wild. I think I will have been um 13 I, I was okay. 13 when when team America came out um
0: so I was 14
1: yeah no I no, I can't have been 13 I must have been younger
0: well no because oh, no, sure no. I oh no 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 it didn't I didn't oh Christ
1: I can't <laughs> I feel like I was like 12 or 13 around that age I definitely shouldn't have been watching team America um <laughs> Should there be, be more puppy sex in films? Uh, sure. Why not? Um, I'm up for it. I'm up for it. I think it's uh, hilarious. I, right, Eamon. T- uh,
0: counting Team America in it anyway. Yes. Please so, give me your top ten films. Top ten comedy films. Team
1: America. Bridesmaids. In mm. The Loop. Shaun of the Dead. Anchorman. Hot Fuzz. Four Lions. Superbad. Step Brothers. Finally, Mean Girls.
2: That's a hell of a list. Again, it's interesting, very interesting. A lot of you co- a lot of your sort of like modern comedies in there, which yeah, are kind of of a perhaps I kind can't of like what we've got. Mean Girls, which is like a really nice sort of
1: quintessential sort of teen comedy ish,
2: teen comedy ish, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But it po- pokes fun at a lot of different things, I think. Um,
2: which you've got your you've got Superbad in there as well. See, so, yeah, when I put Superbad in, I remember thinking, I kind of put it in as a placeholder for your, for your Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, yeah. Ten Things I Hate About You, uh, American Pie, One and Two, Mean Girls,
1: Clueless. Like, see, with American Pie, American Pie for me, like, yeah, the first time I watched it as, again, I can't remember how old I was. Probably not old enough. Um, it was funny because it's toilet humor, it's sex humor hilarious tits great hey now i'm just like right your yeah. point <laughs> there's yeah. just it's just sort of baseless uh and I mean, you there's don't... still there's still funny things in it but i just don't think it has it's just daft and i think the fact that they're on like what 20 films now <laughs> yeah, um, it spawned, it the american pie It's got more
2: crazy than police
0: academy yeah think, yeah uh that i think was... like that is the the beauty of Superbad. that's the genius of Superbad. it's it's toilet humor it's sex humor it's it's too exactly. loud to basically try and lose their virginity before you go to college yeah but it's it's a friendship it's a story about friendship like at the heart of it it's these two boys who don't know how to communicate how much they love each other yeah. and how much they're going to miss <laughs> each other and it's just it's such I a think and I think that's about what friendship.
2: sets it apart from totally all it those other yeah. mm-hmm. movies Agreed. Because yeah. I feel like all of those other movies, the coming of age movie was about coming of age. It's about people finding themselves, making mistakes, mm-hmm. getting in awkward situations, but finding themselves. And it's there's like a quite a, a, almost a selfishness to that, which you you come to expect from from teens, I suppose, because they are very self obsessed, uh, and rightly so. The hormones are raging. <laughs> Whereas Superbad <laughs> took the same sort of premise, but. It was about the importance of, uh, of of friendship, I suppose, which was a lot sweeter. It meant it meant a lot mm. of the swearing and being sick and sex jokes and boner jokes and all that kind of stuff. It kind of became secondary. They were they were kind of you could see them through a rose tinted lens uh, of the yeah. sweetness of these two guys being afraid of, that they're going to have to continue their lives away from each other. And I thought the story, you know, the fact that it was written by. Seth Rogen and Evan uh, Goldberg, and the yeah. the characters are called Seth and Evan, and it's basically about their friendship. I thought that was really really sweet. The fact that you had it was the one of the launching pads for people like Seth Rogen and Bill Hader, um, for being Jonah in Hill. movies. There's so sort of like
0: uh, Jonah of Hill in particular,
1: and Michael Sarah, yeah, you know.
0: Yeah, so apparently uh, I was listening to Bill Hader um, talking on a podcast, and he got sent two job offers. One was for a film which he didn't name, and the other was a super bad. Super bad mm. was way less money with no stars in it whatsoever. And his agent said, "Well, which one do you want to do?" Kind of hinting like, "Go do for the big, big do paycheck." Do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And she, so the agent then said, um, "Let me get this straight. You want to be in a film where they're paying you not as much money for a smaller part with the kid from Arrested Development?"
1: <laughs> and he was like, "Fantastic." Yeah. <laughs> sure.
0: It just kind of like. Now, if someone said to you, like uh, Michael Sarah's going to be in this film, you like, okay, well, obviously, I'm going to go with Michael Sarah, Seth Rogen, yeah. Seth Rogen's going to be in this film. Jonah Hill's going to be in this film. You would choose that comedy film over everything. But at that time, no one really had a fucking clue who they were. Like, yeah. there was, there was like a 12 month period where, uh, 40 year old virgin, um, knocked up and super bad all kind of came out. You could easily do there as a triple bill comedy, but I found it was super mm. bad.
2: I think it kind of depends where you are as well. I watched this at an age where I, I, I've, I felt kind of connected to those characters. Like, I loved the American Pie movies, the first couple that came out. But again, they came out when I was like 10, 11. And it was like watching teenagers swear and trying to have sex with a pie and all this kind of funny nonsense. Whereas yeah. Superbad came out at that coming of age time when I was coming of age. And, and therefore, I always keep that on a sort of on a pedestal almost I put it above Mm. uh, all of those other films but again a coming of age movie it just depends on when you see them I guess there are people out there saying who'll say that Animal House or or Fast Times at Ridgemont High are are, are far superior to those movies because Mm. they came out in the 80s when people when people were younger but
0: I don't know I can I completely agree. and get ready for that klaxon sound. um, Ah, here uh, we go. It's time for our annual name drop. (laughs) (laughs) So so when I met Seth Rogen, um, I did say uh, that (laughs) Superbad means so much to me because I was an awkward teenager about to leave for college when, when Superbad came out, which is a film about two awkward teenagers about to go to college not knowing how to express how they feel. So, there's your, there's your name drop. It's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Ava, on the... You scumbag. Let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's stick with the Apatow theme. We're going to hit the next two Apatow films. Let's go with Anchorman. Anchorman.
1: Like, weirdly, right? I'm probably going to get shunned off this podcast for this, right? I watched Anchorman 2 before watching Anchorman.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. Just because that's, it was out a... at the cinema. Very weird reverse. Mm.
1: So um, which one do you
0: prefer? Obviously Anchorman, because uh, Anchorman
1: 2 isn't in. <laughs> Obviously Anchorman. This is the far superior film. Yeah. Uh, because I came out of Anchorman 2 going, eh, that was mm. fine. And then my friend who'd already seen it was like, no, 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 please watch the first one. It's so much better. No, no, no. Yeah. And I fell in love with it. Um, just like, you know, at the time I was, so when, when did Anchorman 2 come out? It was, I want to say twenty. 13? 2014
0: 20 i'm gonna say 2013
1: i think it was 2013 off the top of my head um so i was you know an aspiring journalist um and i just loved how much fun it poked at you know 70s and 80s journalism um mm. and just the uh, you know it, it took a lot of shots at like toxic toxic masculinity and just and sexism while also just being daft as fuck, um, <laughs> and just you know the the huge cameo fight is fantastic. I think that's some of the best cameos like assembled, <laughs> if you want to say that, you know news team assemble. Um, any,
0: any film where you can get Jim Carrey, Will Smith, uh, John C. Riley, mm-hmm. and Amy Polar and just trying to think of who the other one is. Oh yeah, Kanye fucking West. Turn it up for like a little <laughs> cameo fight, you know. Yeah. You know this film is in good stead. That's got a reputation.
1: Anyone who can just I mean, book those people up there. You know, just lines like "Brick killed a guy," like are just <laughs> so ingrained in my head because that scene was just such a joy to watch because it's like, without sounding stupid, it was the Avengers portal scene <laughs> without <laughs> having the Avengers portal scene because it was just like how how much. How many what more people reference. can we put here? You know what I mean. Um, just and the, <laughs> it's all the weapons that they just keep pulling out. Like, it's just the one grenade. after another. I yeah. mean, it's amazing ah. to hear that. Like,
2: it's amazing to hear that you. It was the you, you saw the first film, second, and you like you, you would rate it so high yeah. because obviously it is a better film. But mm. it's usually I find it's like when you hear a song for the first time and it's a cover. It's, it's often so difficult to to shake that. So for you to I mean, have watched the first c- time I you've seen that Anchorman comedy, yeah, in 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 a sequel, and then go back and watch the first one, is quite unique to like I would yeah. if I didn't like the second one as much, and then I went back and watched the first one, it would probably be tainted by the fact you know, that I'd seen the taint second because yeah. I would have like oh that's a similar joke and that's similar comedy and that's. Because none yeah. of the freshness is there anymore. None of the kind of the new surprises would be there. So it's cool that like, you think, you saw that and it still meant problem. enough to
1: you to be up yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem for me was Anchorman Two is uh, it, it's silly. Rather than funny, it's silly. Um, mm. You know the whole oil pan in the motorhome. Shit, Jesus Christ, that was painful. Basically,
0: no, it um, wasn't. I fucking love that scene. No, it's so funny. It, maybe too it's too much
2: just... money when they when they throw in so yes. much kind of like. CGI, it was kind of a little bit like you've made too much money now, and this is lasting so much longer than it needs to.
1: I mean, you just have to look at how much Anchorman has just like you know, one liners and scenes have just ingrained themselves in you Mm. know, our sort of generation. Sex Panther, 60% of the time, it works every time, like that's become. A phrase, like it's a catchphrase, and it's great. Mm. Um, you know, well, I mean, I... my friend had a bottle of Sex Panther, you could buy it, it was brilliant. <laughs> you know, marketing so here's, genius.
0: Here's my thing I don't think there's a more quotable comedy movie than Anchorman. I think it's fucking genius. Every one liner is genius. Launched the career I... of Steve Carell, it mm. turned Will Ferrell into Will Ferrell, the evolution of Ron Burgundy is a fucking joy <laughs> to watch and behold. Um, and he's even doing a podcast, which we're going to shout out. Um, <laughs> but, do, you think, um, do you think that's I just because it.
2: it came out at a time like when we were young, though? Like, let's be Possibly. honest. Possibly. Like, I- I'm sure plenty of people were quoting Gone with the Wind, you, you know, 50 yeah. years ago, 60 <laughs> <laughs> years ago. I mean,
1: I, mean, you have to, I think, you know, uh, like looking on our respective lists, there's stuff that uh, more modern films say, *Booksmart*. Um, by good god I can't think of bloody uh, Olivia Olivia Wilde Wilde. Olivia Wilde that took far longer than it should have done Um, you know I think people uh, sort of you know generation below us sort of you know would find would be like well why is that not on there that's hilarious that's you know it's irreverent it's Mm. no 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 but I think you are right there's something about you know watching films when you are younger of that time that sort of cements them Mm. in your opinion of like top 10 for example Uh, and I think Anchorman is
2: like I remember Anchorman came out when I was in school so all I heard was Anchorman quotes because that's what you do as kids you hear something you repeat it Uh, whether it'll stand the test of time in 30 years time whether people are still going to be like 60% of the time works every time I I don't like I don't know I think some stuff will last but I don't know I don't know whether it'll last whether all of those quotes would would remain yeah
1: I think um, Simon, you were saying that it's like one of the most quotable films of all time, and personally, I would disagree because for me, Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead are the most quotable films of all time. That That's could be show. just because I fucking love Edgar Wright and Edgar Wright's uh, you know style of scripts writing and just the the humor of you know Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, or if it's just because you know do I find them so quotable because i love them do you know what i mean Mm. instead of being uh, obviously you know they're always on itv2 uh (laughs) Ah, yours truly johnny nelson (laughs) (laughs) there we go cheeky little plug um so like for me personally those two are a lot more quotable i mean there's a girl in the garden what in the garden it's a girl (laughs) no it's just i can't not do the entire like call and response the entire bit yeah, you know, me and my flatmate do it all the time. Somebody will say something Although that I sounds think, again, ever so slightly. You to
2: be a, The girl in the garden is quite deep cut. I think there are certain areas in things like Shaun of the Dead, which, which, which have kind of cross boundaries a bit more. Like the mm. kind of, we got. Let's go to the Winchester and wait for this whole thing to blow up. Got over. red on you, cornetto. Uh,
0: then, you know, literally just by saying cornetto.
1: Cornetto trilogy. Which, mate.
0: by the way, I tried to run out for a night out in Bristol and feeling absolutely rough the next day. My mate Jack said, do you want anything from the shop? I said, Cornetto. He came back with a Cornetto and a Diet Coke. I did the Sean of the Dead hangover treatment. And it did fuck all. I I felt worse. But
1: again, uh, for Sean of the Dead, some of the, the, just the visual comedy is fantastic. You you have that whole scene where he's going to the shop and then the next day when he goes to the shop again, it's the exact same scene, but with a genre twist. And for me personally, being a bit of a, you know, personally, controversial comedy isn't my favorite genre I, I prefer things like you know sci-fi and horror and comic book and again this was another film that i saw when i probably wasn't old enough to see so you throw in gore in there as well and i'm like yep i'm all in this is great
0: <laughs> there's the so you know the bit where he's walking to the shop for the second time mm. so there's a it's obviously the the comedy you're seeing is that the first time he goes everything's completely normal the second time he goes, yes. he's, he's hanging out of his ass the world is going to shit the world is ending people are like dying in the streets people are trying to chase him he thinks they're homeless he gives them give them some money
1: i haven't even got enough of the fucking shop uh, (laughs) i don't even have a fucking shop
0: so the first bit where he realizes he's trying to get his um life back on track is in the first first time when he does this trip to the shop he picks up a coke the second time he picks Ah, up a diet coke Coke. (laughs) and it's like he's (laughs) that in his mind is him being like I'm a new man <laughs> I'm trying to I prove like to Liz that. I'm a new it guy was it was difficult it was difficult not to put a, uh, one in my list for,
2: from sort of the Egg Wright Simon mm-hmm. Pegnic Frost Cornetto trilogy because I do love I do love Shaun on the Dead I sometimes mm. think to myself is Hot Fuzz better than Shaun on the Dead
1: uh, and I, I also have that debate
2: yeah I, I still can't really decide and I loved just, <laughs> World's End wasn't quite as good I was Um, just about to say some of the later ones. Not so much.
1: World's End is is funny, but it's it doesn't have. It's more funny because you've seen the other two. It's Mm. not funny on its own merit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If if World's End was the first film, I don't think the appetite would have been there for a Cornetto Mm. trilogy.
1: No, I completely agree.
0: So, second part of the trilogy, Hot Fuzz. Mm Mhm. I kind of lean. I kind of agree that it is actually a better film.
1: I it, I think the thing for me is, again, the, the genre side of Shaun of the Dead, like the horror stuff, uh, made it very much for a long time like, nope, it's better than Hot Fuzz because of the horror. I think, realistically, Hot Fuzz is the better film because just how much they weave into it um, mm. and the repetitive style of comedy. Again, like the... The, the walk to the shop scene, but just the entire way through, um, you know, I mean, the jumping of the fence thing very quickly becomes a staple of the of the trilogy, but yet they one up it with you know, <laughs> Danny trying and completely <laughs> failing um, through the fence. Yeah, I... but yet you have sh- you have Simon Pegg playing a completely different character that isn't Simon Pegg, or feels like Simon Pegg. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, the I, very. I
0: think out of the whole trilogy. Simon Pegg is the most valuable person throughout the whole film. Every role he plays is different. Mm. Um, He's not necessarily the funniest character. In fact, in all three of the films, you'd argue that his character is the least funny um, of the ensemble cast. But I think every performance he gives in these films is the best. Because he's the everyman, isn't he? He's the person you're
2: supposed to connect Mm. to uh, for better or for worse. Even in Hot Fuzz, when he plays this kind of uh, career-driven kind of extreme, straight-laced, almost boring robot of yeah. a man, he's still the person who you connect to uh, because he steps inside this ridiculous mm. uh, world that is this odd kind of village of all these strange goings-on. Yeah, on. he's, he's <laughs> the
1: audience POV, isn't
2: it? It wouldn't feel realistic, in a way, as stupid as that sounds. Mm. No, um, I don't It would just mean. seem like a complete fantasy because there'd be no one there who you relate to.
1: I think yeah. he's also weirdly the most tragic character in each film. Yeah. Um, you know, in Shaun of the Dead, he's not prioritizing his girlfriend. In Hot Fuzz, he's you know doing a very similar thing. He's not prioritizing Kate uh, Blanchett. <laughs> Holy shit! Like I, that blew my mind when I realized that was Kate Blanchett. That was fantastic. Yeah. Anyway. Um, you know, and again, like you say, he's the career driven, straight laced man that, you know, just can't switch off. And in World's End, he's tragic because he's, you know, he's not able to to mature. He's not able to, you know, grow up. Mm. Um, yeah. So he's kind of His... got a tragic through line in the entire trilogy. Sort of.
0: His performance in the World's End is just genuinely quite sad. Like, it's, I feel sorry for yeah, that. Yeah, that scene when he
1: breaks down towards the end yeah. is a little bit. Oh, mate, I just want to give him a hug. Maybe not a pun. He has... <laughs> yeah, he's, <laughs> he's had a few of those. He's um, he has
0: a few moments throughout the whole trilogy. Actually, Simon Pegg, where he has that, he has a performance where he just steps it up. There's a bit in uh, Shaun of the Dead where he's faced with the, the task of having to kill his own fucking mum. Like, and yeah. he, it completely breaks down. I, I think he's, I think he's just fantastic throughout the whole trilogy. I'm so pleased. Shaun of a Dad and Hot Fuzz are listed in your top 10s because I fucking love them. Um, Although I still yeah. argue for them both to be in there, that is a bold
1: move, mate. That is a box. For them to be essentially I think, of the same film. I know. I think personally that's a that's a, a favouritism thing. <laughs> uh, that's fine. I just it, I couldn't pick between them. And I was like, you know what? Fuck they're both, they're going, in, both going in. But I mean, in the loop though, as we were sort of saying earlier on, it's the political satire of it, which is completely different to, to Hot Fuzz and the Shore of the Dead. Um, yeah. And I, it's Malcolm Tucker. That is the, the entire reason that I fell in love with In The Loop and, and the thick of it um, is Peter Capaldi. Oh, Jesus brilliant. Christ, his delivery is just, you know, his choice of, so, well, I, I, to be fair, admittedly, I don't know if a lot of his stuff was improvised or if it was scripted. I imagine it was a little bit of both. Yeah, I would um, imagine
2: mostly, I would imagine mostly um, scripted for him because he's very much like an actor. Uh, he is, yeah. I can imagine a lot of it systems, would have scripted, like,
1: but he did it so
2: well, like so, so well.
1: I mean, I just think some of the, you know, the way that he puts swear words together, I do think that there's, there's got to be some sort of on the spot thinking with that. Because they're just, they're just inspired. <laughs>
2: it, upsets me. it actually, every time I think about it, it, upsets me a little bit the fact that like we don't have that anymore. And Peter Capaldi yeah. is such a brilliant actor that I feel like you know I love to see him pop up in everything, but he's kind yeah. of uh, he doesn't feel like he's ever gonna. He did that, and of course he did Doctor Who, but then it doesn't feel like he's ever gonna be given that. Length of rope again uh, that, I think, that kind of space to, to, yeah. to create a character so strong And as bold as that Part
1: of me wants to say that we'll get that in The Suicide Squad um, From James Gunn in 2022 Because he's playing a Comic book villain in that um, And I would love to think That James Gunn would write uh, His character in a very Kind of, you know, playing to Peter Cardi's strengths kind yeah, of way Yeah, yeah, but he's playing a guy called the thinker who can basically just outthink at super intelligent speeds and I uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I would love to see him tackle a James Gun- Well, I, I can't wait to see him very, tackle that a James like Gunn.
2: Doctor Who, doesn't it? Who it does. very very quickly. Yes. There's always a chance it'll kind of go more along those lines than any other but
0: mm. either way I guess I just we'll like find out when when we, when we <laughs> When we find out what certificate it gets, I guess we'll get the answer. It's going to be, well, it's, it's
1: already announced it's going to be an R-rated film in the US. So hopefully mm. that kind of would imply they're going to give it a 15 over here, I would assume. Hopefully they'll um, drop
0: in a couple of C-bombs. I, I mean, oh, that'd right. be fantastic.
1: But I mean, my favourite, my favourite my favorite line from, <laughs> from In The Loop is when he's dealing with the American guy. Kiss my sweaty balls, you fat fuck. <laughs> and just runs off. It's perfect. It just, every time it creases me up. And it's kind of, it is horrible because he is picking fun at this bloke. But like, good God, his delivery is hilarious. It's so just the my... weight that he has in, in his pronunciation. Mm. Yeah, fat fuck. Like, just <laughs> brilliant. brilliant. So
0: similar to that, I guess. Similar to that. Um, so uh, my question to you both, because you both got it in, the, in your lists. Um, mm-hmm. Is In the Loop the yardstick? that it should be for when TV shows are made into films?
1: Ooh. Uh, no. I would also say no. Because okay, the thing is,
2: I love the Loop because it's basically the thick of it, and it's just the same, it's the thick of it, but as a film. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not necessarily the, the yardstick because a lot of time when you turn something into a film, it should feel filmic, it should feel different, it should feel like you're almost getting more for your money than you would do watching the show. I would rather watch a few episodes of like, The Thick of It than In the Loop, and I absolutely love In the Loop. I think yeah. The Yardstick is more something like Alpha Papa, where they created a very different sort of situation, a different, uh, a, a very different Alan Partridge in, mm. a, a, in, in, a, in a filmic environment, and it absolutely mm. nailed it. And I, I, think, well, I think that's more of a yardstick than In the Loop. In the Loop is a better film, but yeah. Alpha Papa is a better yardstick for how you can take a television character and then turn it into put it into a, a film world for me,
0: at least in Britain. Well, my, my point about um, the evolution of Ron Burgundy, if you want the evolution of a genius comic character, look no further than Alan Partridge. He's gone from TV to ra- radio, uh, radio <laughs> to TV, to, to webcam, videocasts, casts, back yeah. to like to film, back to TV. And now he's got a podcast coming out. Um, i Fucking love Alan Partridge. That's a really interesting point, though. So that's uh, Alpha Papa. That is the yardstick. Um, so, amen we're going to talk about your final film. Let's talk about Four Lions, and then I'm
1: going to stun you all with my
0: Aye, list, good my God, final top ten.
1: Four Lions should just categorically not be funny. Categorically, <laughs> you know, you describe this film to somebody, and you're like, they're a bit like, do you need to put on a watch list? here you know, about terrorists. It shouldn't be something really that we're poking fun at when they are such a, you know, it's such a sensitive topic just because of, you know, however many events over the last 30 years. Um, However, Chris Bloody Morris, stunning work. Like, I mean, arguably, uh, it was the first time I sort of came to know uh, Riz Ahmed um, Mm. as an actor. And I think... You know, his—it's
0: uh, a real breakout do you moment, wanna, isn't
1: it? Do you want to say dedication to the cause? Because kind of that's—he's the most <laughs> dedicated out of the bunch to the the plot. Um, but it's his dynamic with the rest of the hapless fuckwits <laughs> that just makes it so fucking hilarious. You know, when they're trying to buy all these ingredients to make a make a buddy bomb, and he's like, "Oh yeah, make sure you cover your face." And he does it with his hands and goes back in like it's just stuff like that. I, I, I think it, it took a very sensitive issue and navigated it in such a way that just it took all the sensitivity sensitivity out of it almost. You know, I'm, the fact I'm, that they can't even, you know, execute their plan properly and end up blowing up a fucking boots. <laughs> I mean, I, I, mean, love, I
2: absolutely love that movie. Obviously, Chris Morris is amazing from uh, the day to day and Brassai and Jam Brass Eye. And, oh, um, and and in the kind of the sort of offbeat political satire done there—the kind yeah. of dark, dark political satire that was that was uh, sort of worked on there. And then we saw in 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 um, Four Lions. It's something that his, his fans have been used to. But for well, the beautiful thing about Four Lions is, it was able to. It almost humanized uh, terrorism in a way which I thought was very interesting. People are afraid. People like to create golems. People like to create monsters out of anyone that does something monstrous. If they do something monstrous, it means we have nothing in common with these people. And if we have nothing in common with these people, then how do we understand why they do these things? And how do we understand how any of this happens? Because they're monsters and we're angels. Uh, They're devils and we're bloody Jesus himself. Uh, and what that did very, very cleverly was it kind of it, it satirized and it made it ridiculous because of course it is ridiculous, but it also humanized the fact that real people with similar issues to us and similar lives to us can be turned on their head uh, to make horrible decisions for their lives and other people's. And to turn that and make it incredibly funny at the same time and silly. Uh, is a skill that only people like Chris Morris and Armando Iannucci, who also worked on um, Brass Eye in the day today, um, can actually can actually do. Riz Ahmed is brilliant in it. Kaven Novak, who kind of got his start before like phone yeah. Jacker, and that, was brilliant. Rubber Dingy Rapids. Rubber Dingy Rapids. <laughs> it, was, it is an amazing movie. And some people yeah. find it difficult to watch, um, even now, and that's probably rightly so.
0: all of them deserve their place in the top 10 however it doesn't really work like that and so now the job is up to me to give the top 10 comedy movies of all time uh, so in at number 10 we have Involu. in at number 9 we have uh, Doctor Strangelove and number 8 we have Airplane number 7 we have Step Brothers. number 6 we have Shaun of the Dead number 5 Bridesmaids number 4 Anchorman number 3 Life of Brian, the number two super bad, which means the ultimate comedy movie of all time is This is Spinal Tap.
1: This is Spinal Tap. Good man. Fair, fair. I mean, I can't yeah. really argue with it. I mean, the legacy it left, the mockumentary genre. I mean, I think, that is it. I think the
2: beauty that of is it is, like... is you can look at This is Spinal Tap and you can, through the lens of that movie, you can see mm. all of the things that we have loved so much over the last like 15 20 years you see this as panel tap but you, you're looking at, at david brent and michael scott and you're 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 looking at uh, at amy poehler you're looking at michael Sarah. you're looking at all of these fantastic shows from arrested development parks and everything like that's I, I think that's how you can celebrate them all uh through this this one film so i think that's fair But I would say that because it was top of my list. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not bitter, it's fine. Mean
1: Girls is, it's good, but it's no Spinal Tap, I understand. (laughs) Mean
0: Girls (laughs) is great. Mean Girls is a great film, and Beth is going to be very annoyed that I haven't chosen it in the top ten. But we turned it up to 11, and Spinal Tap has come out on top. Um, Johnny Nelson, thank you so much for joining us, man. It's been an absolute delight chatting so in-depth about comedy. It's been fucking wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. I only
2: hope this poor phone recording I'm making this <laughs> works out and this is actual usable content. But it's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Problem, no problem. Thank you for your insight. It's been it's been, been
1: it's been brilliant.
0: Guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been fucking wonderful. This was the Top Ten Film Show. See you next week.